the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. Monday, August 9th, 2021. Hope you all had a great weekend. I sure did. Looking forward to a great week up ahead. Uh, let's start uh, things on my mind. Let's just start with the notion I have uh, spoken to before. When you have the Democratic Party or the progressive movement in America creating a larger movement in America, um, it's um, it's it's an interesting thing. So think about sexual harassment. We all pretty much thought we got it and understood the rule, even if we didn't understand the law. After the Clarence Thomas hearings, what was the takeaway rule that even if an underling or an employee in a supervisor or managerial underling context, even if the underling, even if the non-superior, the inferior employee consents, it's not to be considered true consent because of the imbalanced relationship and the implied consequences that could come from a negative response. We all thought we got it until Bill Clinton became president. And then we were told by his protectors because of his policies, oh, and the economy, that kind of law, legality, or morality didn't matter. We have seen this again and again transpire at the time. A lot of us thought, well, Democrats don't really care about sexual harassment they care about, in Bill Clinton's case, abortion rights, as New York Times writer after New York Times writer said, because of his position on abortion, will give him a pass. They cared about abortion rights, not sexual harassment. And so any number of women, including one who an NBC reporter said credibly charged Bill Clinton with actual rape, a woman who's been a guest on this show, a woman whose name should be said, Juanita Broderick, even when it wasn't consensual, she was run out of town and run out of respectable company. Democrats don't care about sexual abuse. They cared about protecting Bill Clinton. They cared about his position on abortion. They don't care about tyranny and human rights violations. Otherwise, they would have not bent over backwards to protect Islamo-fascists, and they wouldn't have blamed America for being Islamophobic, for wanting to go to war against Islamo-fascists who called Jews and Christians pigs. And there again, you have the Democrats not caring about religious slander and civil rights. They cared about something else which in that case was blaming Americans first. What did we do to deserve September 11th? Anyone remember that question? Or the chickens coming home to roost? Anyone remember that? Or Barack Obama's pastor? 
or Ward Churchill and all the defense they received, or the fact that a candidate for Senate in Georgia this very year cited as a teacher and fondly Jeremiah Wright and got elected in the state of Georgia. They don't care. They don't care about anti-Semitism. They don't care about racism. They don't care about blackface. They don't care about the KKK. Otherwise, Governor Northam of Virginia would be gone. If they cared about sexual harassment, Andrew Cuomo would have been gone. If they cared about sexual harassment, Bill Clinton would have been gone. If they cared about sexual harassment, the lieutenant governor Democrat of Virginia would have been gone. But they don't because then the governor would become the attorney general and he's a Republican. So those claims of sexual harassment don't matter any more than do Tara Reid's against Joe Biden don't matter. Though we were taught to believe all women, were we not? Were we not taught to believe all women? And of certain course, we certainly had to believe Christina Blasey Ford or take Andrew Cuomo's own words from not two years ago. Quote, the confirmation of Judge Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court is a sad day for this country, and it will haunt us for as long as he is on the court. Today, 50 senators put partisan politics over to the sanctity of the highest court in the nation. In November, the American people get to respond and make their voices heard. In New York, we will not waver or back down to Dr. Christine Blasey Ford and all survivors of sexual assault. We believe you and we fight for you. I'll just leave the quote closed there. To all, we believe you and we will fight for you. So brazen, this statement from Andrew Cuomo put out on his official letterhead is still on his governor's website. And today we learn of a progressive organization called Time's Up. You may remember hearing of that organization when the Harvey Weinstein case was prominent and other people like Matt Lauer were being relieved of their jobs and in some cases being investigated for sexual assault, a, for, a, group, a progressive group formed, Time's Up. It raised tens of millions of dollars. Its effort was to persuade people in public life, whether they were elected or someone like a Matt Lauer, to leave public life, to be fired. It was perhaps one of the first original cancel culture organizations. If you were credibly accused of sexual harassment, we are going to be all over you because we believe all women, which is part of the Time's Up charter. Well, well, today the chair of Time's Up and one of its co-founders, Roberta Kaplan, had to resign. Not for sexual abuse, mind you. She's not a hypocrite in that sense. She had to resign because it was discovered that she was giving, like his brother Chris, Andrew Cuomo, advice on how to push back against the very people that Time's Up was created to defend. She was part of his kitchen cabinet, his brain trust, telling him how to go after and answer these charges from these 
shall we say, unenlightened progressives who don't understand, don't understand that you being in your office is so important that we will violate everything we believe in, including the law, to keep you there. People who don't understand Cori Bush needs private security, otherwise she would be killed, and those that want to deprive it of her want her dead, according to her, though she will not let other individuals, American citizens, protect themselves, and she wants the police to be defunded. She says it always in the same breath, always. And then, of course, the question of COVID comes up. Do you have our uh, audio bill of that New York Times uh, reporter speaking with Wolf Blitzer? This is, again, not an issue of hypocrisy. It's a matter of them not caring. If Gavin Newsom believed what he said about COVID, he wouldn't go out to eat maskless. If the governor of Michigan believed what she said about COVID, she wouldn't go out in public and do the kinds of things boating on the lake. She deprives of others taking vacations and travel that she denies the right of others to do. It's not that they're hypocrites. It's that they're liars. They don't believe themselves what they're saying. If they're telling you be afraid and don't do this so as to save yourself, but I'm going to go do it, then they can't possibly mean what they are saying unless they have some kind of suicidal fantasy, which I doubt that they do. But then the quiet part sometimes gets said out loud. And so here was a New York Times reporter who was granted the opportunity to go to Barack Obama's 60th birthday bash at Martha's Vineyard, pictures of which, video of which have leaked out showing large crowds, including Barack Obama, who knows if vaccinated or not, and who cares, but certainly maskless, getting jiggy with one another. Here's the New York Times reporter. Uh, Other people said, you know, this is really being overblown. They're following all the safety precautions. People are going to sporting events that are bigger than this. This is going to be safe. This is a sophisticated vaccinated crowd, and, and this is just about optics. It's not about safety. Sophisticated crowd. What was her phrase? A sophisticated. What was it? What was it? A sophisticated vaccinated crowd. Trust them. Do what they say, not what they do. The dancing videos I've seen didn't seem all that sophisticated. I'll take their words that they were vaccinated. But wait till you hear what Michelle Walensky, the head of the CDC, said this weekend, because it turns everything on its head yet one more time. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. If this is a sophisticated vaccinated crowd. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. I want to talk a little bit more about vaccine mandates just a little bit, because if I read her rightly, and I think I do, we now have a cause 
not to mandate vaccines. And it comes from the director of the CDC. Let's listen to her with Wolf Blitzer this weekend, Dr. Rochelle Walensky. Do you think the CDC and others, for example, got the messaging wrong when it comes to breakthrough cases, people who are fully vaccinated but get COVID? Experts have repeatedly insisted that breakthrough cases are rare, almost dismissing fears. But would it have been better to give a more nuanced explanation about what to expect? I think we all have to recognize that um, with 164 million people who are vaccinated, um, we should expect tens of thousands, perhaps, of uh, breakthrough infections. But the most important thing is not the number of the breakthrough infections, but what happens here. Those breakthrough infections have mild illness. They are staying out of the hospital. They are not dying. And I think that that's the most important thing to understand. We have a massive number of people who are vaccinated, and and, um, those breakthrough infections tend to be mild and not severe. But what about uh, all the fully vaccinated people who get the breakthrough infection? Can they pass it on? Could they pass it on to their children? Could they pass the virus on to older people, especially more vulnerable people with the underlying health conditions? And that's exactly the point that we made in our guidance. So, yes, they can with the Delta variant. And that was the reason that we changed our guidance last Tuesday. Um, our vaccines are working exceptionally well. They exactly the point. Well yes, Delta. the vaccinated can pass it on, Rochelle Walensky says. So if the vaccinated can transmit the coronavirus... Why do we need mandates in stores, travel, or elsewhere showing that you're vaccinated? What good will that point do? Yes, I'm vaccinated. I have to tell you that. Certainly. Now, what difference does it make between the unvaccinated person? Well, the unvaccinated person could pose a health risk to others by passing it on and transmitting it. But you just said, I vaccinated can pass it on and transmit it. Yes, you can, too. So why do I need to prove to you that I'm back? What is the point of proving to you that I'm vaccinated, that we're creating a safer environment? Yes, of course. We want to create a safer environment for everybody. That's why we want only the vaccinated in here. But the vaccinated can pass it on. Exactly. You got it? Good. Welcome to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, because that's about the level of science you're dealing with right now, married to the level of reason. It's not. Willy Wonka was insane, and so, too, are all of these policies. Now, as far as this iteration over and over again, reiteration, that the vaccinated will suffer less poor will suffer less will have an easier time of their covid if they're infected they won't be hospitalized as 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 often as the unvaccinated their symptoms won't be as severe i don't know i just don't know i don't know that and the reason i don't know that is the cdc put out a report two fridays ago showing that of the nearly 300 coronaviruses in the community they were observing, there were five hospitalizations, and four out of the five were the vaccinated. None of the other hundreds 
of coronavirus cases had to be hospitalized, vaccinated or not, as they say in the law, vaccinated, vel non. I'm looking at an NBC News story. In Boston, over 100 vaccinated people have died with the coronavirus, over 100. Is that a little to you or a lot to you when you're talking about a community like Boston? In Virginia, it went from 17 breakthrough deaths to 42. In Oklahoma, where cases are up 67%, they showed that this incidence of breakthrough were greater than 160 per 100,000. Greater than, which is a number far more than what they said it was supposed to be. You can go state by state if you want. There are at least 10,000, at least 10,000 hospitalizations of the fully vaccinated. We don't right now have a good grasp of how many have died. You have to go state by state, but it's well over 1,500, well over 1,500. Now, that has to be married to the other thing Walensky said. Can you take it from the top of Wolf and her and, uh, and Dr. Walensky, please? Because here's the other tell. Out there, do you think the CDC and others, for example, got the messaging wrong when it comes to breakthrough cases, people who are fully vaccinated but get COVID? Experts have repeatedly insisted that breakthrough cases are rare, almost dismissing fears. But would it have been better to give a more nuanced explanation about what to expect? I think we all have to recognize that um, with 164 million people who are vaccinated, um, we should expect tens of thousands, perhaps, of uh, breakthrough infections. But the most important thing is not the number of the breakthrough infections, but what happens here. That's Those the most important thing. What, how, let her keep going. They are staying out of the hospital. Staying. They are not dying. And I think that right. that's the most important thing to understand. We have a massive number. They of aren't dying. Are and yet almost 2000 have, including 100 in Boston. But the thing she's saying is the important thing is to watch what happens, including the fact that deaths are lower. And we all know and stipulate that deaths are lower. So if deaths are lower, what does she care about anything else? Why are, why, are, why are we consumed with the generic recitation of cases spiking if what she says the most important thing is what happens to you if you are case positive? Well, okay, that's a really good question. If deaths are way down, and they are, I mean, Florida was doing a good 227 deaths a day compared to where they are now at something like 20. If deaths are down, and that's what she says we care about, then why is she talking at all? Why are cases relevant at all? Cases that don't tell you a damn thing. We never used to focus on cases. We focused on deaths. We're not focusing on deaths now because deaths are down. Why are deaths down? A lot of reasons, including knowing how to deal with this virus.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If it's six minutes after the hour, we do our culture and economy update with the fabulous John Dombrowski. He is the founder and president of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. His website, his website is grandcanyonplanning.com, and his radio show is heard here every Saturday morning at 7, the Word on Wealth. J.D., happy Monday. How are you, sir? Do we have John? Can you hear me? Check, 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 check. There you are. How oh, are I'm you, here. sir? I'm here. Thank you. <laughs> you betcha. Uh, how you doing? I'm fine. How was your weekend? Fantastic. Good. Nice weather today, too. I love it. Oh, yeah, I know. It is fantastic. You get a free free uh, car wash, don't you? Uh, I guess you could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, talk to me about an issue we used to think about, and um, I know it's been a couple of years when it was fresh and kind of of concern and we don't really fix things. We just move on to the next thing. And mm-hmm. one of those is unfunded retirement pension plans. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you think about um, – I always talk to people about do you have – I ask people that if they have inc- a certain income that they receive and pensions sometimes come up in a conversation. Uh, but I always say we all have our own federal pension in reality, right, which is Social Security. Many people are concerned about Social Security, and I certainly understand the concerns, obviously, with all of the debt we have in this country. And uh, we hear all sorts of stories about Social Security and the unfunded liabilities there. But individual pension plans as well uh, are really under the gun right now, Seth. Cities, uh, it says, pay millions towards $11.8 billion in pension debt. And this talks about here in Arizona – uh, $11.8 billion of unfunded liabilities uh, owned by owed by more than 300 Arizona municipalities. And this is really uh, something to be concerned about. If you think about pensions, this is what people uh, work their whole life for, a company and uh, or even the federal government or a municipality. And they expect to have some type of retirement plan uh, that they were offered. And in some cases, we're seeing these pension plans are really underfunded. John, um, one of the things, and I haven't looked at this in a long time, so straighten me out or clarify if you don't mind if I get this a little twisted or wrong, but there are two, theoretically, aren't there two kinds of pension plans, for lack of a better word, there's the funded and unfunded, sometimes known as pay-as-you-go? Right, yes. And aren't a lot of these then unfunded plans basically becoming pay-as-you-go plans? Well, yes. Or is that the concern? That is that is seems like the where, where we're headed, okay. right? Now, one of the issues that I saw here in this article, which was kind of interesting too, Seth, is that you know traditionally pension plans are very um, concerned about how that money is invested, right? Because they don't want to take a lot of risk with the money, because this is uh, to be used for the income for all the retirees, and so their challenge has always been: is how do we generate enough? income on the portfolio to cover our our expenses. And unfortunately, with bond yields being as low as they've been, uh, we've been seeing a little bit of uh, two sides here. Some people saying we should invest this money a little bit more aggressively in the stock market so we can have a better return on the investments. And of course, others, more traditional people are saying, well, we can't risk that money. What if the market had a uh, you know, a, a downturn, and we lost uh, more of the principal and, and put the position, made the position even worse. Uh, in some cases, though, some of these uh, companies or some of these uh, pension plans have actually invested in the market and have shown reasonable returns over the past year. But this is really a one-off type of a situation. They're trying to catch up 
uh, and not be in that situation to where they're pay as you go. Uh, and um, it worked out for them over the past year. Uh, I think that good money management, I'm a believer of this, that's what I do for a living, good money management should outpace the performance of interest rate on bonds, but there's always those risks associated with anything that you invest in. And uh, as long as they're investing maybe in a very well-rounded portfolio, I think it could be a good idea for these pensions to start considering investing in more than just uh, lower-paying lower bonds right now. John, is there a way for people to know the conditions, the, 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 the basically the status, the funding levels of their pensions? There is. I don't have it off the top of my head, okay. but you can certainly go online and you can uh, research and find what the uh, – the you know the the pension maybe that you're involved in yeah 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 what the uh, you know how how well funded that and, and that it, is. my point is if it's if it's if it's looking like something of concern yes that's where you step in to help solve the problem isn't it well you know or un- can unfortunately uh, many times you're not able to touch any of the money within your pension plan until you're right. at that retirement age right but you come up with other retirement well strategies. we come up with other exactly strategies right. and if you're offered the opportunity to do a cash out on your pension it's really something you should consider i would say if you are in a situation where you have a pension contact our office let's talk about options you might have to make sure you uh, choose the right option for you as an individual and, if, and for you and your spouse. John, you really are the best. I uh, mean, you really are. I thank you. Thank you so much. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA Tipic and an investment advisor, Grant Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you, thank John. You. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I'm just, uh, you know, it, at a certain point of people sending you a certain video, you got to pay attention and <laughs> and say, okay, I'll share it. I will. I will. A lot of you have been sending me this video out of a small town in Indiana. I think it's a small town, Mount Vernon, Indiana, part of a um, larger um, it's suburb, part of a larger area where the school board was discussing uh, their mask and vaccine policies until a local physician showed up to the hearing, a physician named Dan Stock, and he read them the riot act, the effect of which was threefold. One was the board decided to adjourn and delay their decisions while they considered what Dr. Stock said. Good victory. Two, Twitter has made it awfully hard to send this around. Bad. Um, and three, um, the, third, the third effect here that's kind of interesting is it encouraged others to try and contradict him. And if you search him, in fact, on some search engines, and why don't you go ahead and just take a moment and think of the biggest one. Some search engines actually start not with his testimony, but with another physician trying to contradict him. That's what's popular, the contradiction, the subtext, not the text. So I watched the contradiction, and I don't know the bona fides of this physician, but since the social media masters find every physician as qualified as another and think the contradiction is worthy of playing, whereas Dan Stock's testimony is not. I watched it. And um, I'll tell you, I'll summarize what the contradictions are. They're not very impressive. 
but do you want to go ahead and play Dan Stock? Okay. Here's Dan Stock talking to school board in Indiana. Um, to, to address your comment, gee, it's hard to believe we're 18 months into this and still having a problem. And I would suggest the reason we still have a problem is because we're doing things that are not useful and we're getting our sources of information from the Indiana State Board of Health and the CDC who actually don't bother to read science before they do this. Um, I'm actually a functional family medicine physician. That means I am specially trained in immunology and inflammation regulation. And everything being recommended by the CDC and the State Board of Health is actually contrary to all the rules of science. Huh. So things you should know about coronavirus and all other respiratory viruses, they are spread by aerosol particles, which are small enough to go through every mask. By the way, the literature that supports all of that is in a flash drive that we presented to you. It's been given to the secretary. As a matter of fact, it quotes at least three studies <laughs> sponsored by the NIH to that exact fact, even though the CDC and the NIH have chosen to, avoid, to ignore the very science that they paid to have done. Um, that is why you keep struggling with this, is because you cannot make these viruses go away. The natural history of all respiratory viruses is that they circulate all year long, waiting for the immune system to get sick through the winter or become deranged, as has happened recently with these vaccines, and then they cause symptomatic disease. Because they cannot be filtered out and they have animal reservoirs, and this is a very important point, no one can make this virus go away. The CDC has managed to convince everybody that we can handle this like we did smallpox, where we could make a virus go away. Smallpox had no animal reservoirs. The only thing it learned to infect was humans. That's why we were able to make that virus go away. That will not happen with this any more than it will with influenza, the common cold, respiratory syncytial virus, adenoviral respiratory syndromes, or anything else that has animal reservoirs. So the reason you can't do this is because you're trying to do something Hold which is already been for a second. As I understand this point... As I understand it, and I'm willing to be corrected, I'm not specifically trained in this, though I read as much as I can. And if I don't know something, I try and understand it. As I understand it, if a virus only affects human beings, it's much more susceptible to elimination or eradication. If it can find hosts in other life forms than humans, in this case animals, it's darn near impossible to get it ever to zero elimination. Okay, go ahead. ...else that has animal reservoirs. So the reason you can't do this is because you're trying to do something which has already been tried and can't be done. Equally important is that vaccination changes none of this, especially with this vaccine. And I would hope this board would start asking itself, before it considers taking the advice of the CDC, the NIH, and the State Board of Health, why we are doing things about this that we didn't do for the common cold, influenza, or respiratory syncytial virus. And then ask yourself, why is a vaccine that is supposedly so effective having a breakout in the middle of the summer when respiratory <laughs> viral syndromes don't do that? <laughs> And to help you understand that, you need to know the condition that is called antibody-mediated viral enhancement. That is a condition done when vaccines work wrong, as they did in every coronavirus study done in animals on coronaviruses after the SARS uh, outbreak and done in respiratory syncytial virus, where a vaccine used in a vulnerable individual done the wrong way, which cannot be done right for a respiratory virus, which has a very low pathogenicity rate, causes the immune system to actually fight the virus wrong and let the virus become worse than it would with native infection. And that is why you are seeing an outbreak right now. In fact, in that flash drive you're going to have coming to you and in the emails with six extra, will be a study showing that 75 percent of people who had COVID-19 positive symptom cases in Barnstable, Massachusetts outbreak were fully vaccinated. 
Therefore, there is no reason for treating any person vaccinated any differently than any person unvaccinated. You should also know that no vaccine, even the ones I support and would give to myself and my children, ever stops infection. In 2014, there was outbreak of mumps in the National Hockey League. The only people who came down the symptoms were the people who were unvaccinated or unknown vaccine status. Boy, that sounds like a great argument for vaccines. But a question that you should ask yourself, knowing that half of the people who came down with symptomatic disease had no contact with an unvaccinated or unknown vaccine status individual, where did they get the disease? And the answer was from the vaccinated individuals. No vaccine prevents you from getting infection. You get infected, you shed pathogen. This is especially true of viral respiratory pathogens. You just don't get symptomatic from it. So you cannot stop spread. You cannot make these numbers that you've planned on get better by doing any of the things you're doing, because that is the nature of viral respiratory pathogens. And you can't prevent it with a vaccine because they don't do the very thing you're wanting them to do. And you will be chasing this the remainder of your life until you recognize that the Center for Disease Control and the Indiana State Board of Health are giving you very bad scientific guidance. And instead, read the articles that are going to come on the email and are on this flash drive and listen to the people in this audience here tonight who actually have recognized the advice they are getting from the CDC and the NIH is counterfactual. And that's why you're still fighting this with this vaccine that supposedly was going to make all of this go away, but has suddenly managed to make an outbreak of COVID-19 develop in the middle of the summer when vitamin D levels are at their highest. By the way, the other thing that would be necessary, any vaccine restriction to be considered is if there were no other treatment available. And I can tell you, having treated over 15 COVID-19 patients, that between active loading with vitamin D, ivermectin, and zinc, that there is not a single person who has come anywhere near the hospital and we already have studies that show that if you achieve a 25-hydroxyvitamin D level greater than 55, your risk of COVID-19 death will drop down to through one quarter of the population average wouldn't for the that, United wouldn't States. Wouldn't it be amazing if we find out a year from now or six months from now that we had the solution at our fingers the whole time, at our fingertips the whole time, but because Trump supported it, it was forbidden and for dig to be condemned and criticized. By the way, this notion, this notion that the vaccinated don't get as sick as the unvaccinated. Last month, July 28th, not even a month ago, New England Journal of Medicine, 24% had persistent symptoms. 24% of the vaccinated who got breakthrough cases. That is to say, more than six weeks worth of symptoms. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I um, I was mentioning that that physician we just heard from in Indiana uh, was contradicted by another physician, and it's the first thing that comes up when you search for the original physician. The first thing that comes up is the contradiction, the subtext, not the text. Welcome to the world we live in. And the doctor, uh, if you do watch the contradictory video, is actually not that contradictory. And I'll give you an example of the very first thing he takes on from physician Dr. Stock in Mount Vernon, Indiana. First thing he says is, well, the doctor says that there is no mask that prevents the transmission 
of this virus, given how small the particles are, and that's not true, an N95 mask will. Well, that's an awfully small quibble, especially when half the people who talk about masks don't include N95s because they're known as respirators. It would not surprise me that a physician would maintain such a distinction. The general public may not distinguish as much between a mask and an N95 mask as a medical professional might, a mask versus a respirator. An N95 is more appropriately known as a respirator. But guess what? Even if the contradictory doctor whose name I don't know, the one taking on Dan Stock, even if he's right, we have a problem in Houston and everywhere else. Do you know what the problem is? The CDC says it does not recommend N95s outside of a healthcare setting, outside of a healthcare professional's use. That's a problem when the only mask, if you will, if you will, the N95 is the only one the CDC says you need not and should not wear. By the way, If you're supposed to wear these surgical masks, the one most of us wear or are told to wear, because you may transmit a disease and you're asymptomatic and didn't know it, do you know you're supposed to throw that mask out after wearing it one time if you do have the virus? How would you know that if you're asymptomatic? I have a feeling right now these masks may actually be doing more harm than good.